James chapter 1. This is a very unique season in where we're living in. And not only is the book of James so relevant for us today, it always is every day, but specifically for the season in which we find ourselves in. And we're going to look at a message today titled, Lessons from the Trial. And if you like taking notes, write that down, please. Lessons from the Trial. Because the trial is the test of perseverance. You see, this season for us as a church, as churches, as the body of Christ, is the test of perseverance for us. You know, it's not enough just to come and to look at the cross, to remember the cross, to speak about the cross and about the resurrection. We are also called to carry the cross. We're called to carry the cross in the trial. And during this season, we're learning what it means to carry the cross. Because it's in the denying of self that you find strength. It's in the, the comfort and the peace that you find at the cross. It's in, it's in the moment of weakness that you can run to the cross and hold on to the promises of Jesus that are found there at the cross of forgiveness, of love, of grace, and of mercy. And I, and I say that because as we go to James, he, they were here James is speaking now to the church that is undergoing suffering. James is speaking to a church that is undergoing trials now. And it is vital that we learn the value from this season. Because there are certain lessons that God wants to teach us throughout this time that could not be taught to us only having we been gone through this trial submitted to the Lord. And we start to quickly learn that God has His purposes in everything. That in the trial, we as a church, as men and women of God, receive revelation from God. In the trial, our faith is tested. We learn a lot about our character in the trial. It's, it's very revealing of our character in the trial. And it's there where we have to make a conscious decision to be submitted to God in the trial. And I want to encourage you today, have you made that conscious decision today that's saying, Lord, no matter what takes place, I'm going to be submitted to you in this trial? Because that's exactly what James is telling the church here. He's giving them instruction about staying in God's will. Staying in God's will in this season. You have to appreciate James because James was a follower of Christ, of great devotion, the brother of Christ. And early church history tells us that James was such a man of prayer that his knees had thick calluses. And they made him look like camel's knees because of how much time he spent in prayer. Just imagine the impact. Just imagine the time, the devotion that he spent in prayer before the Lord. And an example to us. This entire letter, this entire epistle, if you read it, is filled with practical application, with a ton of application for us about a faith that works about a faith that inspires action, about a faith that endures, about a faith that produces doers, about a faith that responds to the promises of God, a faith that is obedient, a faith that controls the tongue, and a faith that acts wisely. A faith that acts wisely. Now we're going to look at three major points in today's study. It's number one, profiting from trials. Because we want to profit from the trials that we're going through today. Number one is to learn to profit from trials. Number two, we're going to look at how to love God under trials. How is it that we remain obedient during the season of the trial? Loving God under trials. And number three, finally, we will see the qualities that are needed in the trials. This is all about learning the lessons from trials. The prophets from the trials, loving God under trials, qualities needed in the trials. Would you join me praying today as we go before the Word of God? Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, because Your Word speaks to us, Lord. And as, Lord, You are testing our perseverance, we pray, Lord, that You would... Reveal to us our character that you would strengthen our faith, Lord. 
that you build spiritual maturity in your church. Lord, we ask that you would build us, Lord, to be those men and women, Lord, that are responding to the promises of God in the trial. That, Lord, our faith is inspiring action. That we're utilizing wisdom. And that the entire church right now, from wherever they are at, they are staying in the will of God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And together we said, from wherever you are, amen. We're going to go to here, James 1, verse 1. It says this, James, an introduction. A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now it's important that we look at the introduction that James does and he gives to us because here we're going to begin to see the prophet from trials, right? And, and we start to see that James introduces himself as a bondservant. He introduces himself as the word that we know of in the Greek, doulos. Doulos. And this was an attitude as well that James possessed. I'm a voluntary slave now. I have submitted myself to my master in a voluntary way because I love my master. And he maintains himself, he identifies himself with an attitude of a servant in every season. Now notice the church is undergoing persecution. However, he maintains an attitude of a servant. He is a consistent example here as he begins this letter in this introduction. And it's from James, the bondservant, the example to us, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now he's speaking to the Christians that are scattered due to persecution. This James, this bondservant, a leader of the church at the time. He's speaking to those Jewish people that were scattered due to the persecution and the, the trials that they were experiencing because of their faith due to Herod. But if you notice this, church history tells us and says always that persecution is a backdrop or trials are a backdrop for the furtherance of the gospel. Every time the church has undergone persecution, every time the church has experienced trials, it has been used as a way or a season for the furtherance of the gospel. You see every time, even through the book of Acts, that the church endures through the trial. The church is called to expand in the trial. And the church is called to evangelize in the trial. Can that be us today as we are staying in God's will that we are choosing to endure in this season. We are choosing to expand the furtherance of the gospel with evangelism. Endure, expand, and evangelize. And he tells them this, greetings, verse 1. And he's going to tell us that the way that we profit from trials, number one, is by utilizing wisdom and endurance. Utilizing wisdom and endurance. He goes on in verse 2. My brethren, my brothers and my sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. He speaks to people that he loves. And he says, my brethren, I want you to understand that the pain that you're experiencing right now produces perseverance. It produces endurance. And he gives them a responsibility. He gives them a duty. And he tells them this, I want you to count it all joy. I want you to consider it as an opportunity for joy. <laughs> and in the trials that we go through, we are called, we are responsible, we have a privilege now to consider it as an opportunity for joy. Now he tells them this because in our nature, we do not get encouraged through trials. <laughs> In fact, we naturally want to now bend or lean into now discouragement or resignation in the trial. But this is why he tells them, count it all joy. Because he wants them to make a conscience commitment about how you will treat the trial. He wants them to make a conscience commitment. How is it that you will treat this season? What is it that you're going to get out of it? I, 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 we've said this before, and I'll say this again right now, that if we come out of this season the same way that we came in, then this just was a waste of time. In fact, there is a lot of profit in this season. 
This season is healthy. It is necessary for the church. And he's going to tell us why right now. He's going to say, I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to, 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 to turn in your resignation when it comes to your faith. I want you to treat the trial with a conscience commitment of joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now notice that the next word in verse 2, it says when. It doesn't say if. When speaks about an assurance that you will go through trials. Count it all joy. Consider it as an opportunity for you to have joy when. Not if, but when you fall into various trials. And these trials that he's talking about signify affliction or persecution or any kind of trial. Notice this, you will go through trials. You will go through now suffering. You will go through various testings. But you can count it all joy, and he tells you why in verse 3. You may ask yourself, how is it that I can count it all joy when I'm going through this trial? How is it that I can rejoice when I'm feeling all the pressure that is surrounding me and the fear that is crippling me and is coming up against me and my family? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Make the conscience decision, verse 3. This is why. Verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now I want you to circle the word knowing in your Bible. Because in the trial, we want to focus on what we know and not what we feel. He doesn't say feel, he says know. What is it that you know in the trial? It's not about how you feel in the trial. We have the reputation to consistently go into how we feel in the trial. He says, no, I want to remind you what you know in the trial. And it's important that we always focus on what we know and we stand on the truth of what we know, and that's the Word of God. Because what you know in the trial can keep you secure in that season and in that place. What do you know? You know this, that the testing of your faith, in the trial, it tests your faith and it will produce something. Something will come out of it. It produces patience. Patience. You know what patience is? It, it, it's amazing because we have to stop and, and really talk about patience. Patience, he's talking here about maturity. He's talking about dependability. He's talking about perseverance. He's talking about strength. He's going from the emotional follower of Jesus Christ to the enduring disciple of the Lord. Do you see here that patience is important? The New Living Translation says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Do you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a, ch a chance to grow? In fact, this word patience is not describing someone that is passively waiting now for their turn as if, if they're waiting in a waiting room. That is not the patient that he's referring to. In fact, he's referring to an active endurance. A quality that helps you uh, and gives you strength now. It's almost the quality of a marathon runner that helps him finish the race. Endurance. But endurance isn't Built. Endurance isn't form. It's not fabricated. It's not something that you can possess without pressure. You want to ask someone how and when? And what is it about them that gives them endurance? It, it's, it's because those that have experienced the most testing have been built to durability. Durability. Is your faith durable? Because that's what the patience that he's talking about at its root. And in fact, at its root, patience means to remain under. It's a picture of someone that's under a heavy load, choosing to stay under that heavy load instead of trying to escape now. It's the frame of mind that endures. And what does the trial do? It reveals your character. It reveals your, your, your faith. It reveals how much faith you do have, but it also reveals how much faith you do not have. And it becomes evident to you and to those around you. 
Solomon said it best, King Solomon in Proverbs 24, verse 10, when he said, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. The day of adversity is important for the disciple of Jesus. In fact, it is necessary for the disciple of Jesus. And in fact, those with the greatest faith are those that have been tested. I was talking to somebody from the church earlier last week over the phone, and, 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 and they told me this, whatever God sends me, I will gladly accept. You know who that's coming from? That's coming from a person that's been tested. That comes from, from a person that has a faith that is durable. And that's the value in the trial. Because in the trial, that's the arena. That's the room. That's the place where your faith can grow. No, the trial is, is not the place of gratification. The trial is a place of growth. And this is what growth looks like. Let's go to verse 4. But let patience, let maturity, let spiritual maturity, let Christian character, verse 4, have its perfect work, or let it grow. In fact, this is what he's saying. That you may be perfect, mature, and complete, speaking about wholeness, lacking nothing. Let patience grow. Because when endurance is fully developed, you will be a perfect man and woman. Let it grow, let endurance be built, because then you'll be a mature man and woman, and you will be complete, or you will be whole and lack nothing, because you will be displaying the character of Christ, the image of Christ. The Lord will allow the trial in your life, the Lord will allow the trial in my life, the Lord will allow the trial in the church to accomplish what is lacking. What is lacking. And, and then, after He's done that, he will make in you what is perfect and what is complete. Do you notice that this is a season of preparation? <laughs> that God is accomplishing what is lacking, and then after, He will build in you what is perfect and what is complete. Therefore, and then, the church, we, no longer will be rebellious to the will of God because we're being built. In fact, it is during this time that we've been hearing a lot about what's essential and what's non-essential. And there's different definitions about what's essential and what's non-essential. Some things are deemed essential during these times and other things are deemed non-essential. Well, I'll tell you the trials are essential to spiritual maturity. And we, we better make sure that we understand that. That trials are essential because some lessons cannot be taught. They must be caught in the place of trial. But what do we do when we're in the trial? He's going to encourage the church to do the thing that we must all do and realize that in the trial, remember, wisdom is for today. I love how Pastor Chuck Smith would say that wisdom for today. The Word of God for today. In verse 5, it tells us this, If any of you lacks wisdom, that is what is needed in the trial. A lot of times we think we need more resources. We think that we need things to open up. We think that we need answers. We think that we need leadership. What we really need is wisdom. This is what we need today. Wisdom for today in the Word of God today. And it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now see, trials bring a necessary season to seek wisdom from God. In fact, immediately, instantly, we begin to seek and to ask God for wisdom in the trial. Therefore, the trial is good for us. And notice that he says this, if you lack wisdom, ask who? Ask God. There's a lot of requests that we have for many different people, titles, positions of authority. But that's not the answer. The answer is asking God. And I love this because it's building a greater dependency. It's building a greater dependency on God. God is the answer to the wisdom that we need. Ask God, how does your prayer life look? Are you asking God? 
Because here he's talking about you going before the Lord in intercession. You going before the Lord in request. You going before the Lord in petition that you would go and ask God who says this in verse 5, who gives to all liberally or generously he gives according, according to his excellent greatness, the Lord gives this. As he's building dependency, he gives it generously. And it tells us this, without reproach or without limitation, he is so ready, he has wisdom available by his spirit to you. And he doesn't rebuke you for asking, he doesn't hold it back. And there's one thing that we need to ask of the Lord tonight is wisdom. Not knowledge, but wisdom. You see, knowledge is just raw information. Maybe you think you have a lot of knowledge. It's raw information. Wisdom knows how to use knowledge. As someone once said, knowledge is the ability to take things apart. But wisdom is the ability to put things back together. In fact, wisdom is the ability to apply truth. Do you know how to use truth? Wisdom. Wisdom from the Word of God. But he tells us here in the next verse that we should ask and it will be given to us, but let him ask in what? Ask in faith. Ask in faith with no doubting. That's the problem there. (laughs) And he explains, he pinpoints, he highlights, he underlines here what takes place in the life of the believer during the trial. Doubt. If it's not fear, then it's doubt. Doubt. And he says here now, but ask with no doubting, ask without doubting, ask with a complete trust in the Lord alone. Because when you doubt, you're being unstable now. You're wavering. That's what happens in the doubt. And let's keep reading here because it tells you, ask with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Have you ever seen a wave being pulled back and then tossed and then pulled back and then tossed? That's how the Christian looks when he's doubting. (laughs) That he's being pulled back and then tossed by emotions, by circumstances, by doubts. He's being tossed by those things, and he won't receive a thing from God, nor should he expect anything. Because this is really clear. In verse 7, in fact, he goes on and he says, For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How is he unstable here? He's double-minded. There's no stability here in all his ways. There's no loyalty, true loyalty to the Lord. In fact, he's battling, he's divided between God now and the world, and he's unstable in everything that he does. I'm sure we all know someone, or we've all been through a season of instability. We're unstable, and no matter what we do, we're not sure of. Here it talks about a person that is asking but lacks foundation. If you want to have foundation in your prayer life, you want a, a strong foundation in your prayer life, then ask with faith. Depending on nothing and no one else but the Lord, that is the foundation of our prayer life. A person that, doesn't la- that lacks foundation, they're not sure of anything. And they don't know what it's like to trust God in the trials. In fact, it's when you trust God in the trials that that results in stability. You want a point of stability today in your home? You want a point of stability right now in your walk with the Lord? It's your faith. Asking the Lord in faith. That way your faith today can be that point of stability for your spiritual walk. Where you say, I I no longer am going to be in bondage today. I'm going to ask in faith and receive the wisdom that I need for today. Now let's read from verse 9 to 11 because he's going to talk about how when we have wisdom, we also have a better perspective. A better perspective. Our perspectives are important in the trial. Because trials remind us of eternity. It reminds us that, that the life that we live here, it's only a season. It's only a vapor, the life that we live in. In verse 9 it says, Let the lowly brother... Glory in His exaltation. Let those that are lowly understand, or of poor resources, understand that when they do get blessed or exalted, it's God who does it. In the perspective here, in the trial, it's the Lord who's doing all of this. Let the rich here in His humiliation, because as a flower of the field, He will pass away. 
If he's poor and gets exalted, understand it's the Lord who did it. If those that have blessed and abundantly and rich resources, and the Lord now humbles them, no, it's the Lord who does it as well. It's the Lord who's doing this to teach contentment, to teach dependability now. And in verse 11, he says here, For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat, that it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Just like everything fades away. All their achievements fade away. He's saying, do not trust in the status that you have today. Trust in the Lord. I think we're so concerned with status that the Lord sends a little trial our way. And He reminds you who to really trust in. If He exalts, it's the Lord who does it. If He humbles, it's the Lord who humbles. And He'll use the trial to do all of that. But in the trials, your priorities are realigned. And you'll realize who's in control. Your priorities will be realigned. You'll accept anything from the hand of God who makes no mistakes. And He says, no matter what season you're in, accept the hand of God in your life that makes no mistakes. Because it's in the trial that your perspective allows you to realize what is really important. What is really important today? Now, some people get really depressed in the suffering and the trial. I love what's been said before. It says, depression and suffering comes when what we lost in the past becomes more important than what we have today. Just think about that. Depression in the trial comes when we lost, when what we lost in the past becomes more important than what we have today. See, what is important? Are you ready to accept the hand of God in your life or are we resisting the hand of God? You know what resists the hand of God is pride. And the last thing that you want to do is to handle suffering with pride. In fact, pride will hold you back. It will regress you. It will kill your spiritual growth in the moment of trial. In trial, we should ask, Lord, give me wisdom and give me a heart to ask and be in petition before you, Lord, because it's there that I will find patience, maturity, endurance, dependability, durability to keep me going. Strength to go on. Endurance. Strength to go on. Now let's go to verse 12 because from here, verse 12 to 18, he's going to tell us how to love God under trials. And we want to learn how to love the Lord in this season because this is what's going to also keep us obedient in the will of God. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Blessed is those who patiently endure temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Isn't it amazing when you read the Word of God and it has the word promised? There are certain promises that God has for us even in trials. <laughs> and maybe you wanted some encouragement today as you're listening to the study and you're asking, Lord, what are your promises for this season? Where there are promises in God's Word found in verse 12 in regards to the trial, the test, and the temptation. But we must notice this. That he's going to tell us here and give us a difference here in verse 12 and 13 about what it means to endure now temptation. How is it that you endure temptation? Well, the best way to endure temptation, the best way to say no to temptation is to say yes to God. Are you saying yes to everything that has to do with your spiritual growth and maturity? Because that's the first step to denying the temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation even in the trial. How do we endure temptation? We endure temptation because of our love for the Lord. And because of our love for the Lord, we remain obedient, we remain steadfast, steadfast in the will of God. Afterward, He promises something. He will afterward receive or we be rewarded after He's been approved. Approved. Have you been approved? Because approved speaks about the quality of being considered trustworthy, of passing the test. After, when you have endured past the test, 
After you've been considered trustworthy in the time of temptation as well, you will receive the crown of life. Now, you will receive the victorious crown that we know we all will get. The crown of life, who the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Now, this is something and a reason for us to endure. Do you want a reason to endure? Well, look at the finish line. Do you know why marathon runners endure? Why those people that are racing, why decathlon athletes are able to endure? Because they have one focus. I want to cross the finish line. And I'm going to get my crown of life as a Christian. Are you looking towards what makes you, what gives you strength to endure? In fact, it is wisdom and endurance that qualifies you as a man and woman of God in the trial. Wisdom and endurance that qualifies you. And notice in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. And don't say that when you're being tempted, oh, the Lord is tempting me now. There's a difference between now the trial and the temptation. And we must know the difference between the test and the temptation because He will test, the Lord will test us, but He will not tempt us. And He's going to tell us, it's not the same thing. Being tested and tempted, it's not the same thing. And He's going to say here, let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. God doesn't, He is never tempted by evil, He never tempts now His children as well. And in verse 14, he's going to tell us how temptation takes place. But this is a warning for us. These are like the guardrails that we want to really have embedded in our hearts so that we can be careful, so that we can take heed, so that we can listen. Temptation happens, verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away. When he is drawn away by his own flesh, or his own desires and entice now. Temptation happens when our nature and our flesh is drawing us away. The carnal appetites of the sinful man now rise up and those appetites and the desires are drawing us away and those desires drag us away from the will of God. And it says here, and they entice us. The word entice means to capture, to trap, or to draw in, to catch, as one is catching with a bait. Do you know that your flesh is consistently fighting with your spirit? And specifically in the trial, you will be tempted. And you will be now tempted to be drawn away and be caught as one being caught with a bait to be entangled. We have to remember, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And I love what Paul tells Timothy, no one that is engaged in spiritual warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him. You are either engaged or you're entangled. And we must realize that. It tells us here in verse 15 now, as you go, then when his desire has conceived or he gives into that desire now, it gives birth to sinful action. That desire gives birth to sinful action. You entertain that desire, you're going to fall. Stop entertaining it. Stop giving into it. It says that sinful action, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown now, when sin starts to develop and grow, it says here now, it brings forth death, spiritual death, even eternal death. That's why following the flesh is dangerous. We're called to be a de- uh, dead to sin and alive to Christ. You He made alive who were once dead in your trespasses and sins. You notice how the warnings that He's giving now the church that is undergoing the trial? And then He's going to give them now a contrast between the temptation that they are going through that is from our human nature and the gifts that God gives us that is from His nature. Notice in verse 16, as he goes on, Do not be deceived, beloved brethren. I I don't want you to be lied to, thinking that God is the one that tempts you. Don't be deceived, please. He loves them. He doesn't want them to be led by deception. You know, in today's world where everything is about social media or the news, or what people think, their opinions, everyone is being led now by deception. 
And that's why we have to be careful that we're led by the truth, and that's the Word of God. What are you intaking right now? Are you intaking everything of the world? Or are you intaking now the Word of God? Because He's going to tell us now, this is the contrast between the temptation of the sinful man and the good and perfect gift from God. Notice, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Verse 17, as He's going to talk about the goodness of God, even when we face temptation, every good, verse 17, and every perfect gift is from above. Well, that's amazing. You want some encouragement tonight? Every good and perfect gift is from, a God, from above. In fact, notice this, that when you look at that verse, good and perfect now is what's good and perfect in His eyes. There's some things that we say, how can this be possibly good and perfect for me? I'll tell you, it can be. Because it's good and perfect because it's accomplishing something in your life that glorifies God. Therefore, it is good and it is perfect and it is the will of God for you. It's good and perfect in His, his eyes. And notice this, it comes down from the Father of lights. Temptation is evil, it's sinful. That doesn't come from God. But good and perfect, the will of God comes from now the Father of lights now. It comes from the Father who created life and created light. That's where that comes from. And notice this. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I love that. There's no variation or shadow of turning. What does that say? That he never changes. Have you noticed that? That shadows change with light? It's shadow of turning. It changes with light. But in the Lord, there is no variation. There is no change. He is unchanging. What does this tell us about good and perfect? That God is constantly, always good and never changing. I pray that you hold on to this verse. God is constantly good and never changing. Even in this season, He is the Father that created everything, the Father of lights. In Him there is no variation and there is no shadow of turning. He doesn't change because of circumstances. He is always good and everything from Him is perfect. He is God. And out of His own will, verse 18, notice this. Out of His own will, which means that He initiated our spiritual life, which means that He brought us forth. It means that He reached down to man with His grace, sending His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And it's revealed to us through the Word of Truth. Out of His own will, He brought us forth, or He gave us spiritual life. He gave us the opportunity to regeneration or the process of becoming born again that we might be a kind of fruit, uh, first fruits of His creatures. It was out of His will, out of His plan, that He gave us spiritual life. And it, it is by the power of the word of truth that we became His first fruits. A first fruit talks about the first of the harvest, your prized possession. Think about the value that the farmer finds in the first fruit. Can't believe the first fruit. Wow. Appreciate it, love it, value it. Because of His will, He's given us an opportunity by the word of truth. Notice that. Would you underline that in your Bible, by the word of truth? Because it is the power in the word of truth that is changing our lives every single day. It's the power of the word of truth. What you have, what you're holding in your hand right now, it is filled with power. It is the word of truth. That's why it is where we find wisdom. Because wisdom is only found in truth. And it is there that there is power to change our lives. Now from verse 19, he's going to talk about the qualities that are needed in the trials. What are the qualities that are needed in the trials? Well, first we want to learn the profit from trials. Then we're going to learn loving God under trials, as we've seen, to stay obedient. But also, what does it mean and what qualities do we need now in trials. Verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, having been said that, those that I love, I want you to realize that. Let every man... Now, this doesn't only mean to the men. <laughs> every man and woman. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. This is so important for us. 
Because in the trial, we have a tendency of wanting to give an opinion, of wanting to be an expert. Everybody, all of a sudden, is an expert on something. <laughs> and it says here, My beloved brethren, be swift to hear, be quick to listen. Listen to God, listen to others, because when you are quick to listen, you are others-centered. You're not self-centered. Be quick to listen. This is something that we need in the trial. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Now, do you notice the order? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. This tells us that we would be angry a lot less frequently if we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. Therefore, we would not be angry. You're asking yourself, why is it that I'm always angry? <laughs> Maybe because you're always talking. You're never listening. The most wisest thing that you can do is to listen. In fact, you learn more that way. Listening. Because here he tells us why this is so important. For the wrath of man or the anger in human anger, that human anger does not produce, it does not accomplish, it does not reveal the righteousness of God. What kind of righteousness is he talking about? It doesn't reveal the character, it doesn't reveal the holiness of God. Our wrath always simply promotes and defends our own agenda. And he says, no, your anger that is being caused by an excess of speaking and not enough listening does not produce the character or the image or the holiness of God. In fact, I want to encourage you, church, tonight, when you speak, let it be a blessing and not a liability. Because there are too many times where when we speak, we become a liability in the body of Christ. Let your speech be seasoned with grace, we're told. Little Abraham Lincoln, he said, It's better to remain silent and to be thought of as a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. <laughs> and to speak out and remove all doubt. Now it says, verse 21, Therefore, after being saying that, lay aside all filthiness now, an overflow of wickedness. Lay aside everything that is filth, everything that is impure, anything that is polluting or corrupting now the spiritual man, the woman. Lay it aside, every evil of your lives. Get rid of it. An overflow of wickedness that is contaminating and, and, and stopping and killing the spiritual growth and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Again, the word comes up again. What is it that we're called to do? What qualities do we need? We need the first, the, the first qualities that we need in the trials is to learn to listen. Be slow to speak and slow to get angry, but also here, also learn to receive the Word of God humbly. Humbly receive the Word of God. Not to say, well, I don't like that. That doesn't apply to me. That applies to my spouse. <laughs> this applies to my children. This applies to my boss right here. No, humbly Receive the Word of God with meekness, with humility, that it's planted in your hearts. It's being sowed, those seeds of the Word of God, in your hearts, and it has a power to save your souls. In fact, us as believers, we should maintain a teachable attitude to the Word of God right now. A faithful attitude to the Word of God right now. An accountable attitude attitude to the Word of God right now. Are you faithful to it? Are you teachable? And are you accountable to the Word of God? Because you must learn to receive that Word of God. That's power to save your souls. But the reason why you have to receive it is because you have to learn to receive it because before you can apply it. You cannot apply something you haven't received. Verse 22, but be doers of the Word of God here. And not hearers, only deceiving yourself. Be a doer, not a hearer. Be that person that lives out the Word of God. And don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. In fact, it says here, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word of God and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. It has no effect. It has no impact. Imagine, you go to a mirror, you look at it, and you see your reflection. However, you leave and you forget there is no impact now. There's no lasting effect now, and you're just fooling yourself. You don't even remember. There, it, was, it was no good of you standing before that mirror. In fact, it's important that he uses the word mirror, because that's what the Bible is. It's a revealer of secrets. 
And when you look into the Word of God, it reveals the secrets in your heart that need to be changed by the Word of Truth. It's a mirror. It shows you, wow, I'm convicted by the Word of Truth. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself in just looking, taking a glance, and walking away and forgetting immediately it has no impact in your life. In fact, it goes on and it says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, why is it the perfect law of liberty? Because it's inerrant, it's sufficient, the word of God. It is infallible, that's why it's perfect. It is the law of liberty because it, it gives us freedom and deliverance from sin, notice that, and continues in it. Continue means it takes, takes time to see and examine the state of his own soul when he's looking into the Word of God and is not forgetful, notice this, and keeps it and hides it in his heart now, but a doer of the work, this will be blessed in what he does. I pray that during this season, you are taking time, the time that you have, to memorize Scripture. What was the last thing? You memorize Scripture. That used to be a big thing. I want to memorize a Bible verse. Imagine you memorize Scripture, continuing it, examine it, letting it reveal now the state of your own soul. Because one who does that and does not forget, look, at, it tells us this, and then goes and does something, that person will be blessed. There is a blessing now in the path of obedience. There is a blessing in the path of obedience. Notice that who's not a forgetful hearer, but is a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The New Living Translation reads it this way, but if you look carefully in the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and do not forget what you heard, don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Don't be like that person that just goes to the mirror and then forgets. Forgets, has no idea. In fact, Charles Spurgeon says this, the word of the Lord is a revealer of secrets. It shows a man his life, his thoughts, his heart, his inmost self. What an amazing truth there. Because you have never studied the Bible until you have applied the Bible. You've never studied the Bible until you applied the Bible. In fact, the sermon is undone until it has done something in the life of the hearers. That's when the sermon is done. The sermon doesn't finish when the pastor says amen. It keeps going in the life of the hearer when they become a doer. Can we read verse 26? If anyone among you thinks he is religious or has a system of faith, thinks he's so holy, and does not bridle his tongue, again, the tongue. (laughs) This year should be the year of the resolution of the tongue. He doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart now. This one's religion is useless. If you think and if you claim that you have a religious system of faith, or you have your faith, but you don't control your tongue. Right there, bridle means to keep a tight rein on the tongue. Keep a tight, really close rein on the tongue. If you don't control your your tongue, it says here, he deceives his own heart. You're lying to your own heart. You're deceiving yourself. In this one's religious or faith, it is useless. Why is it important that we do that? Because we always demonstrate in our tongue that we always want to give an opinion, that we want to be in control. We become a busybody in other people's business. And we should not do that. If you think that you're so holy and religious and, and faithful and, and all of this, that you have all this nature and character of the Lord, but you don't know how to control your tongue, then, then you're fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. And it's important that we see that because look what he tells us next when it comes to that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Your faith is not what looks good in your eyes. doesn't mean it looks good in God's eyes. And that's why he's telling us here, pure and undefiled religion is this. Obedience to the word means controlling the tongue. And it says here, we must control it. Because we must say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my heart and the Lord of my tongue. I want you to take control over everything, Lord, in my life. 
Because if I do not do that, and I don't approach situations with the love of God, then, then everything and my religion is just worthless. My faith, it's saying here. I'm deceiving myself. It's worthless if it doesn't translate to a life of love in the way you treat other people. Pure and undefiled religion before God is demonstrated in practical ways. Look at the way it's demonstrated. It's holy. It's uncompromising. It's genuine. And it is before God. It's holy, uncompromising, genuine before God to the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's what it is. To care about people with compassion, to care about people with sacrificial love, to meet the needs, because it's a faith that inspires action, and to refuse to let the world corrupt you. Holiness. Can we focus on this first instead of everything else? Everything else that we think we're so busy doing, looking and trying to rebuke or encourage or exhort other people, focus on this. Be busy about the business of the Father, meet the needs. There are so many needs right now that we can be meeting. This is a faith that inspires action. I'm going to give you four things to remember as the worship team comes up forward. Four things that we must remember in the trial. These are practical things. Number one, the trial is a time for endurance. The trial is a time for endurance. Number two, the trial is a time for wisdom. The trial is a time for wisdom. Number three, the trial is a time for growth. We need spiritual growth in our life. In this season, your endurance, your wisdom, and your growth are being tested for perseverance. But also, the trial is the time, and I love this one, the trial is the time for application. The, the trial is the time for application. Can we pray right now that the Lord would give us a heart for wisdom? A heart for wisdom that honors Him. That says, Lord, I want to trust you in the trial. I, I, Lord, I want the qualities that I need in the trial. Lord, I, I, I want to be in your will in this season. That it constantly is making a conscious decision to consider it a joy. Because it's producing spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father.